0: Uh, I'm going to do our Bible reading now and we've been on a journey through the book of Matthew and we've come towards the end just reflecting on Jesus and his death. And we're coming up to uh, chapter 27, reading from verse 32 uh, about the cross, Jesus going to the cross. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha which means the place of the skull. They offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him This is Jesus, the King of the Jews.
1: Good morning. Everyone, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, My name is Ben, if we've never met before. uh, We've got a lot to be thankful for. Let's pray before we get into God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can join together this morning. Lord, once again, that we can meet face to face and be reminded of all that you are and all that you've done. Father, there's so much to be thankful for. But we pray, Lord, that this morning the greatest joy of our hearts would be who you are, and what you've done for us. We pray that you would help us see this and believe and trust you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you've ever had that moment where you had the experience of something and you finally realized why it mattered. You know, for me, I had this a few years ago. We went to the Great Barrier Reef, and growing up in Australia, you're told all the time that the Great Barrier Reef is great, right? It's one of the world's wonders. We're lucky in Australia to have it, it's bigger than you know if you put it all together it's bigger than italy it's bigger than 70 million football fields it has 1500 different types of fish which i particularly like the idea of then you watch documentaries and david attenborough he says it's his favorite place in the whole world you grow up knowing that it's a good thing it's a big deal but you see, for me, it wasn't until I got in the water that I, I experienced that and I realized why it's such a big deal. We rocked up. Uh, we were at Port Douglas, just north of Cairns, got uh, in a boat, went out to the reef, and as we went to the, took the boat out there, we were met by two fish. No joke, the fish came up to the back of our bo- boat, rolled over, and wanted to be, have a pat like a dog. Then we got in the water, and we saw this meter-long giant trevally. There was squid everywhere, fish everywhere there were the different colors it was awesome and it was there that as I experienced this it was kind of this penny dropping moment for me it's kind of that moment where I, I realized now I get why everyone talks about this now I get why this matters so much now I wonder if you've ever had that experience You know, I've heard that it happens with Ayers Rock. I've heard that it happens with the Grand Canyon, if you've been lucky enough to go over there. Uh, I've heard that it even happens with animals in Africa, the big animals, if you ever see them, the moment where you experience it and you realize why it matters. But see, it doesn't just happen with stuff in this world. It happens with ideas as well. And one of those things that I think it can happen with is, particularly in church, when we think about the cross and the death of Jesus, You see, Christians talk a lot about the cross. Even if you're not a Christian here this morning, you would know that Christians bang on a lot about Jesus' death, right? Like this morning, we've already had three songs about the death of Jesus. You had to, coming into church this morning, you had to walk past a cross. Christians put that everywhere, on their car, around their neck. They even get tattoos of this cross. So I wonder if you've ever thought about this. Why is it such a big deal? You know, I wonder if you've ever had that experience of the beauty, the awe, the importance of the cross. I wonder if you've ever asked, why is it that Christians go on and on and on about the death of Jesus? Well, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to have the experience of the cross. You see, in the Bible, in the New Testament particularly, there's letters. When people were writing letters to church and they explain the cross. But in the eyewitness accounts of Jesus, we get these experiences of Jesus. And here we are in the eyewitness account of Matthew, and he wants us to experience the cross. He wants us to experience what Jesus went through. And so we're going to have a look at this and enter into the story in Matthew chapter 27 to see the awe, the beauty, the importance of it. We pick it up in verse 32. We see Simon's carrying the cross in verse 33. It's called the place of the skull. And then we enter into the scene in verse 34. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So what is the beauty, the awe, the importance of the death of Jesus? Well, here you get a sense of it already, don't you? Right? There's a sense that something happening here matters. It's called the place of the skull because that's where people died. That's where they crucified people. And Jesus here is being killed. You get a sense of the weight of what's going on here. But it is worth asking the question, how did we get here? You know, because if you were with us last week, Jesus was saying, I'm gentle and lowly. Come to me and I'll bring you rest. So how did we get to the point in chapter 11 where we heard really good stuff about Jesus to the point where he's being murdered on a cross? Not only that, but in this series, we've been seeing big stuff about who Jesus is, and it's been good. He healed a paralyzed man. He calmed the seas. He's healed people with severe suffering over and over again. So how did we get to that point to now where Jesus is being murdered? Well, if we were to slow down a little bit and read through all of Matthew, we would begin to see that Jesus is a pretty divisive figure, In fact, Jesus is polarizing. He creates kind of a polarizing reaction in the people who are following him. And we kind of get what that looks like today. You know, we we understand what a divisive figure looks like. It's been in the news for the last, I don't know, three weeks or so about how one person in the world is creating a polarization. You know, in America, some people are like, how could you not vote for this guy? And other people are like, how could you vote for this guy? And you just see the polarization. Two completely opposite reactions. There's not much room in the middle of like, oh yeah, he's okay. Jesus is kind of like that. He's polarizing. He's divisive. There's not much room in the middle for Jesus where you go, Yeah, take it or lead it, leave it. He's a good kind of teacher. In fact, I love how Bono puts it, the lead singer of U two. We've been watching going through the Alpha Course here at church and they give us this quote from Bono and it's so good. He says, Either Jesus is God or he's nuts. Either he's God or he's just crazy. And the religious leaders of this day, they think he's crazy. They think he's a lunatic and he's gaining a following. He's upsetting their religious systems and structures. And so they go and they kill him, right? That's what we see from chapter 26 to 20, and 25. We see they arrest him. They bring him to this point of his death on the cross and they crucify him. And here we enter the scene with this experience of the death of Jesus. But see, I wonder, if you're thinking about how important the death of Jesus is and the weightiness of the moment, the magnitude of the cross, I wonder what things you would explain or what things you'd think Matthew would explain. You see, for me, when I think about the magnitude of the cross, I think of the physical pain, right? So if I'm explaining it, my go-to is, okay, let's think about how painful it would have been for Jesus, the rusty nails into his hands and feet. You know what that would have been like hanging on a, like a crusty piece of wood? I think of the crown of thorns crushed into his skull. For me, that's the type of stuff. If I'm wanting to help people see the magnitude of the cross, it's that stuff. It's the physical pain. But it's interesting because if we're expecting that from Matthew to help us see the physical pain of the cross, what we're going to get is not the physical pain. He doesn't highlight in on that. Not in this section. He zones in on the public shame of the cross. Notice how we see this. From verse 38, we see this. It's public shame over and over again. Verse 38, two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. What does Matthew highlight here? It's shame. It's public shame. You know, we've already read in the earlier verses that he's hanging on the cross. The guards have already gambled away his clothes. Jesus is being publicly shamed as he hangs naked on a cross. You know, you might think of Jesus hanging on a cross with a loincloth on, but that's the PG version of it that people put in their churches because it's kind of appropriate for kids. But there's no reason to think that Jesus wasn't naked on the cross. It was always like that. Jesus wasn't different. It was a shaming moment. He's hanging here naked, exalted, shamed for that. Then think of the people he's with. The rebels to his left and to his right. But this, this word for rebels, it's literally this idea of terrorists. That's who he's in the company of. Then they mock him. And they're shaming him as they mock him. Everyone's getting in on it. The religious leaders are mocking him. The people passing by, the randoms, are just walking past, hurling abuse at him. Even the guys next to him are getting in on it as well. This moment here for Jesus is shame. Now, I don't know if you've thought too much about shame. It's interesting, once we begin to actually think about what shame actually is, it starts to help us understand what Jesus is going here through a little bit. I've been thinking about this a little bit lately as I've been listening to this um, researcher in this area called Brene Brown. She's a researcher in shame and vulnerability. And she's got some really interesting stuff to say about shame. Um, and it's one of those things, she says, you know, it's something that we don't live our life thinking that we live with shame, but she kind of says we actually do. And here's why she defines shame like this. So guilt is when we say, I do bad things, right? I've done the wrong thing. That's what guilt is, right? Where we know we've stuffed up. The difference between guilt is shame, and shame is, instead of just saying I've done bad things, it's I am bad things. Right, so it's not just I stuffed up, it's I am the problem. And she says often it's attached to this language of not enough. I'm not good enough. You know, I'm not funny enough, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not a good enough dad, I'm not a good enough mum. I'm not a good enough friend, I'm inadequate. I'm not enough. You ever felt that? That's what shame is. And in this moment, Jesus is being killed because he's not enough. You know, the religious leaders, the society at the time, they've decided his time's up. He's not even worthy to be here. So they're shaming him. Public disgrace, public shame. Naked he stands and they're just shaming him, right? They're shaming him for his words. You said he were king of the Jews. They're shaming him for saying that he was the son of God. And then the culmination of all this is the religious leaders and what they say, and it's crazy what they say, because they say this line, if you are the son of God, bring yourself down. He saved others, but he can't save himself, and if you bring yourself down, we will believe in you. And this is crazy. For three reasons, this is crazy what they're saying here. First and foremost, this is crazy, because the line, if you are the son of God, we last saw that when Satan was tempting Jesus. When, when Satan was tempting Jesus in the devil, he said, if you are the Son of God, do this. And now it's being repeated by these religious leaders. You know, what happened at the cross, it's not just this physical moment, there's spiritual warfare going on, and it's not a coincidence that they're saying the same line as Satan. The second reason this is crazy is because they're saying he saved others, but he can't save them himself. And this idea is the word saved in the book of Matthew is the same word as healed. So they're essentially acknowledging that Jesus healed others. Just soak that in for a moment. I mean, they're saying, he healed the paralyzed man. We saw that. He healed the lepers. He did that. We saw that. He healed those with severe suffering. We saw that. But he can't heal himself. He can't save himself. They're acknowledging Jesus' miracles, but yet they're still in this moment saying he can't bring himself down. And then the final thing they say is, if you do bring yourself down, then we'll believe in you. Now, for me, I can empathize with that a little bit. And I don't know if you can as well, but I often think if Jesus did just bring himself down from the cross, everyone would have to believe, wouldn't they? Like everyone would just believe in him if he just brought himself down. Not only that, I think if that was me on the cross, I'm bringing myself down. You know, like if I got the power to do that, I'm not hanging up on the cross. I'm bringing myself down from that, the public shame of that moment. You know, when we feel shame, what do we do? We, we run away <laughs> as far as we can get from it. I'm bringing myself down from the cross, and I'm watching very closely the, the, the religious leaders' faces as I'm doing that. <laughs> and the randoms and the rebels, I'm, I'm watching their reactions. You, you beat me up. Let's see what happens now when I, when I show you my power. That's what I'm doing. They say to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, bring yourself down and we'll believe in you. But see, first and foremost, that's not how belief works. You know, we often think it is, if people just get enough evidence, they'll believe. But they already saw Jesus heal the paralyzed man. They saw the evidence and they didn't believe. Belief is far more about trusting someone than it is just about having the evidence. It's not how belief works. But see this, it's also not how Jesus works. You see, as Jesus hangs on the cross, he will show his power. He's going to show his power, but see, his power is going to be seen not in some crazy miracle. It's going to be seen in him controlling his power. You know, an old lecturer of mine once said it like this. The greatest miracle of Jesus' life wasn't healing the paralyzed man or walking on the water. It was the non-miracle of the cross. And what he was getting at there was the greatest power, like for Jesus, you know, healing a power, that's Nothing right? Walking on water, that's nothing for the creator to do that. But in this moment to control his power, to stay up on the cross, he said that was the biggest thing for Jesus. Because he stayed up with this physical pain, with this public shame, he held held his ground, he hung on that cross. And it wasn't just to face the shame, it was to face death. And that's what we see as we keep reading. From verse 45, Matthew shows us the experience of Jesus' death. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama Sabashani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. This is the moment that Jesus dies. Here we are invited into the experience of Jesus dying. And as you read it, do you see why people are saying that this is the greatest miracle of Jesus' life, is the non-miracle of the cross? The greatest power was actually withholding his power and staying up there. The reason is because as we've seen all in this series, this is God with us. This is the king. The whole Old Testament points to this king. This is the one who can heal the paralyzed man and walk on water. This is the one who said, come to me for I'm gentle and lowly. This is the author who's written himself into the story to die. We we run from death. And he's written himself into it to die. So why does he do that? Why does he die when he could have just brought himself down? He could have in an instant stopped this whole scene. Well, Matthew gives us a couple of hints. You see, death is a loss and we know death to be a loss. And this looks like a loss, but Matthew gives us some hints that what's going on here is not a loss. As we experience this moment of the death of the cross, he gives us two hints. Firstly, it's when the darkness covers the land. So from midday till three in the afternoon, it goes black. Now, I grew up just thinking this was for dramatic effect. You know, like if you sit like in darkness, if that was to happen, that would feel weird. In fact, last year when the fires were around and we had this moment where we were at Mugra and the sky pretty much went black at midday and it felt apocalyptic. It was scary. I grew up thinking that's why darkness covers the land. But see, throughout the Bible, darkness isn't just for dramatic effect. It's symbolic of judgment. And what's happening in this moment is we're getting the hint that what's going on here with Jesus' death has something to do with God's divine judgment. The second hint, though, is a bit more concrete than that. It's in Jesus' last words where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is saying words from Psalm 22 here. And in this moment, what Jesus is showing us is that the judgment is somehow connected to Jesus and what he's doing on the cross. So why is he going through this? Why is he taking God's judgment on himself at the cross when he could have brought himself down? Well, it's to save people. It's so that people can have a relationship with God. And again, Matthew gives us the experience of this. You see, Jesus dies, and what happens? We see this in verse 51. He gives up his spirit. He breathes his last. And then in verse 51, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened... They were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. The reason Jesus hung on the cross, the reason he stayed up there, was to bring people to God, to allow people to have a relationship with God. And we see this firstly in the curtain being torn in two. See, the temple throughout the whole Old Testament is this meeting place between people and God. But the curtain was symbolic of those who were good enough. And you couldn't go in if you weren't good enough. The curtain breaks as Jesus dies to show that now it's not about your past, it's not about whether you're good enough now. Anyone can come and have a relationship with God. And then we see this displayed with the centurion. Right? You know his story? His life is about killing people. (laughs) That's what he does for a job. He's there with the other guards. They just killed Jesus, and yet here he is believing this was the Son of God. Jesus' death on the cross was to save people, and people need saving. You see, in the the Bible, we see that death exists in our world, loss exists in our world, because sin does. And sin is the way that the Bible uses to describe our, our status, who we are, right? Because we don't do good stuff all the time. We're not as good as we should be, And even if you've come here this morning and you think you're pretty good, there's this reality that throughout our lives we've ignored God. Then sin is also the bad stuff that we do. You know, when we do stuff up and we know we've done the bad stuff, this word to describe the good stuff we don't do and the bad stuff we do and our ignorance of God, it's sin. And here's what sin leads to, it's shame. That's what's going on in our heart. We feel shame for it. I am not enough. I am not good enough. You know, you ever wonder why when we stuff up, it's not just like, oh, I stuffed up. It's, this is a, refle- a reflection on me as a person. I don't know if you've ever felt that. You know, literally for me, waking up this morning, I felt that. Sort of thinking about my day yesterday, and there was moments for me where I said things I shouldn't, and there was good things I didn't do, and I woke up this morning, and it wasn't just I stuffed up yesterday. It was I'm not good enough. This is a me thing going on. I am the problem. Sin leads to shame. And so we have this feeling, we live our lives feeling like we're not good enough, we're inadequate. And there's a problem here because God is good enough. He's perfectly holy and perfectly good. And since God is, we deserve judgment. Like anyone who breaks the law deserves the consequences for it, we deserve judgment. We deserve death. We deserve shaming. That's what we deserve. That's what we've earned. But do you see the beauty of the cross? Do you see why Jesus' death matters so much? It's because in this moment, here in history, Jesus is being shamed. Jesus is taking our punishment. Jesus is being forsaken so that we can be brought in, so that we can know our God who knows us, Fully, like our whole hearts. He knows our past. He knows how good we've been and how bad we've been. He knows our inadequacy. But he doesn't cast us out. He brings us in. This is why Christians bang on and on about the cross. It's because this is the moment where God looks at us and says, you are enough because of Jesus. Now, as we get to the end of this experience of the death of Jesus, as we see the weightiness, the importance of this, it does raise the question, what do we do with this? What does this mean for us? Now, I think there's lots of things that this means for us, particularly when it comes to shame. You know, maybe that's a discussion this week that we can talk about in our growth groups, right? Like, what does it mean for us to live that feeling where we're caught between not feeling good enough, but God says we're okay with Jesus? Like, there's good discussions to be had there. But I think for us this morning, there's two things. Firstly, the first thing this means for us is we've got to decide what we're going to do with Jesus. We have to decide what we're going to do with Jesus as we see who he is and what he's done. We've got to figure that out because Bono was right. Either Jesus is God or he's nuts. Either he was God or he's a lunatic and he's crazy. In this story we see these reactions play out from the religious the rebels the randoms they reject Jesus they think he's nuts the centurion they believe in Jesus we got to figure out for us are we going to believe or are we going to reject Jesus now what I love about this story is it's not about your past you notice that like the religious guys they were the ones with a good past and they reject Jesus the centurion he's got a bad past and he believes in Jesus, it's not about our past, what we do with Jesus, it's about our present. It's about looking at him and seeing him for all that he is and all that he's done and deciding, is this guy, is Jesus worthy of my trust? Will I believe in him or is he a lunatic? They're our options. We have gotta figure out what we're gonna do with that. The second thing this means for us though is particularly if we have decided to believe in Jesus, the second thing it means for us is we have to keep returning to the experience of the cross. We've gotta keep going back to the death of Jesus. You know, like we know this to be true in all of life. Anything beautiful is worth going back to. I'd love to go back to the reef. Love to see if my fish are still there. I've called them mine. I'd love to see that. You know, I'd love to have that experience again. The cross is so much better than the reef, so much better than anything we can find in this world because the cross is this message that I deserve shaming, but Jesus isn't going to shame me because he was shamed for me. I deserve punishment, but our God's not going to punish me because Jesus was punished for me. It's this message that God fully knows me, the depths of my heart, and he doesn't forsake me because Jesus was forsaken he invites me in where I'm fully known and fully accepted. And the cross is something that we must just keep coming back to. You know, if you see Christians if they keep banging on about the cross, they've got it right. Because we ought to just keep coming back to this moment in history where God displayed his love for us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray in a moment and then we're going to sing. And in this moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to give you an opportunity if you want to, to put your trust in Jesus. Just inwardly, in your heads, declare to God that you trust in Jesus. It's going to be an opportunity to do that. You can repeat after me in that moment. And then we're going to sing and we're going to sing a song called The Passion, which is all about Jesus' death. But in this moment, when we sing this song, please don't just sing it because it's words on a screen. Sing it if it's from the depths of your heart and praise God for all that he's done for us at the cross. This is our response as we've experienced Jesus' death, to praise him and magnify and make much of him. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and then we're going to sing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we, we say these words inwardly within us, Lord. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God. I believe in your death and I believe in your resurrection and I believe that here is where we find life. I trust you for the forgiveness of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen.